God's own heart, and um, though he was one, he was not a perfect man. He actually was far from perfect. When you read the story of David and you come to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you find an awful thing that David allowed to happen in his life. Uh, He committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. Uh, Then he tried to cover his sin, which led to the arrangement of the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He eventually took Bathsheba to wife and then sought to live as if nothing happened at all. And the last sentence of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is very interesting. It's very telling. And here's what it says. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The great preacher from yesterday, Charles Spurgeon, and I have a portrait of Charles Spurgeon in my uh, office. He once said this, God will not allow his children to sin Successfully, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And and God did not allow David to sin successfully. In fact, if you keep reading David's story in Second Samuel, get to chapter 12. The Lord sends a man by the name of Nathan to visit David. And David uh, is told a very interesting story by Nathan. And eventually uh, David is brought where he says in chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And he admits his sin. He confesses his sin. And we have a more full account of his confession in Psalm 51. Let's, let's turn there real quickly. We want to start there in Psalm 51. And we'll end up in Psalm 32 today. But we're going to start in Psalm 51. I want to show you just a portion of David's confession in Psalm 51. Uh, beginning at verse number 7. David prays. In Psalm 51, beginning at verse 7, these, these words, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen to verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then notice verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Now, it's interesting to note what he says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And that brings us to Psalm 32, if you turn there, please. It seems that some Bible scholars believe that what David talks about in Psalm 51, about teaching transgressors God's ways, is actually what we have in Psalm 32. In other words, Psalm 51 came first and then Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, we find that David does indeed teach transgressors and he teaches some very important lessons. We want to read this psalm today and study it together. But before we do that, I want you to hear a proverb. You might want to jot the reference down. Think about it as we consider Psalm 32 today. Because this proverb, we we see it illustrated in David's life. Proverbs 28.13 says this. Proverbs 28.13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So keep that in mind as we study Psalm 32 today. And you might be interested to know as well that Paul repeated the first two verses of Psalm 32 in the book of Romans. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And so we find him quoting the psalm we're about to read in the New Testament, in the great book of Romans. But look there at Psalm 32. Let's read it together, a psalm of David. The Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, in preparing this morning's message, I kept in the back of my mind our upcoming revival meeting. And, beloved, just because we have revival written on the calendar does not mean that we're going to have true revival. 
By the way, what is revival anyway? Is revival just evangelism? Paul Tan said that evangelism, fine as it is, is not revival. In fact, after a very successful evangelistic meeting one time, Billy Graham was asked this question, is this revival? And his answer is worth hearing. Billy Graham said, no. When revival comes, I expect to see two things which we've not seen yet. First, a new sense of the holiness of God on the part of Christians. And second, a new sense of sinfulness of sin on the part of Christians. Now, his words are worth weighing out and thinking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. Those are two things we don't talk about a lot in our world, right? Nobody wants to talk about the holiness of God or talk about the sinfulness of sin. They aren't given much thought or much attention. But revival helps us to recognize those two things. It helps us to see just who God is and how great he is and how needy and sinful we are. It shows him holy and us many times unholy. It shows us just how much we need him and how worthy he is of all. And I believe that we have in Psalm 32, as we prepare our hearts for the revival meetings, we have here how to experience personal revival. So you don't have to wait till next week to, to get right with God. You don't have to wait till a revival meeting Sunday night to, to get on the altar before the Lord. That can begin now. That can begin this morning. And child of God, isn't that where you want to be? Don't you want to be on fire for God, revived and excited about the things of God? Sure you do. We want to be where God wants us to be. We want to have what God wants us to have. And so as I studied Psalm 32, four main things came to my attention I want to share with you today. First of all, where we want to be. Where we want to be. You say, well, where do we want to be, preacher? Where is it that we want to be? We want to be in the shoes of the one mentioned in portions of this passage. Notice verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Drop down to verse 10. The second part. It says, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Look at this. Blessed. Happy in the Lord, forgiven, deceit free, trusting the Lord, surrounded by his mercy, glad in him, shouting for joy and upright in heart. This is where we want to be, beloved, blessed and happy and rejoicing in our God. And of course, this can only be true if we begin at the beginning. And that is if we are saved, if we have salvation. We must repent of our sin and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have a sin problem. It's our biggest problem, by the way, our sin problem. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death and sin is sinful. The sinfulness of sin, the awfulness of sin, the reality of just how wicked it is. John Phillips said that sin is so radical an offense to God that the Holy Spirit uses 15 different words 
Hebrew words in the Old Testament to describe sin. And in the first two verses of this psalm, you have four different words used. Did you notice it? Transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit. And so we have there this sin problem. And our sin separates us from a holy God. And nothing we can do can bridge that gap that exists between us and God. There's only one remedy. And that is that we need a substitute. We need one who knew no sin, who never sinned, to take our place. And you know what? He did. And his name is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 says it this way. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad about that? I am. Because he died for me. I'm ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here we are. We have a sin problem. And our sin separates us from God. But there's wonderful news. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I ask you today, beloved, have you been saved? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Why don't you call on Him this morning? Why don't you turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's where you want to be. Blessed and happy and forgiven and on your way to heaven, a child of God, an heir and joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better place to be than in the family of God. And so today, if you don't know Jesus, why don't you turn for your sin and place your faith in him? We find where we want to be in this passage, but there's a second place here, and that's where we don't want to be. You ever been somewhere that you didn't want to be? You say, I'm there right now. I hope not. David found himself in his life somewhere where he did not want to be. Now, David's writing this psalm. And he tells us about a time in his life when he was not rejoicing like he ought to rejoice. He was not shouting for joy like he ought to. In fact, uh, instead of singing, he was groaning. Uh, Look at verses three and four. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Think about that. Pause and reflect on that. Now, what's this all about? Maybe you're sitting there. You say, well, I thought David was saved. He knew God. He did. He sure did. In fact, it says in Psalm 51, verse 12, we read this morning, he says in praise, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He never lost his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute. I thought at Calvary, when a person repents of their sin and trusts Jesus Christ, that all their sin, past, present and future is taken care of. It is. Praise God. It is. But here's something you've got to understand as a child of God. There's a difference between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, isn't forgiveness forgiveness? Well, listen. The moment a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and they turn from their sin and they trust Jesus, their sin is forgiven. Judicially, they're declared righteous in Christ and the penalty... 
of their sin is removed forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Forever. Your sin, the penalty of sin is taken care of. But we all know, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we all know that even after we're born again, and after the penalty of our sins has been taken care of, we all know that we still sin from time to time, don't we? If you're honest, everybody would say here today, you know what, this past week, I sinned. You might say, well, this morning I sinned. You might say, since I've been to church, I sinned. And, and, and we know that we fail the Lord. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves that the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we know that we still, from time to time, sin. Now, judicially, we're forgiven. The penalty for sin is gone. We're bound for heaven. We're bound for glory. But there's something that we call parental forgiveness. And parental forgiveness does not deal with the penalty of sin. That's dealt with at the cross. Parental forgiveness deals with the idea of fellowship. When we sin, Christian, we don't lose our salvation. But you know what? We do lose that fellowship that we enjoy with the Father, don't we? The same thing happens at your house and mine when our kids disobey, when they do wrong. When they disobey, they're still our kids, aren't they? Nothing could change that. We still love them. Nothing could change that. But would you agree that when they misbehave, the fellowship at your house is not exactly what it was when they behaved? There's a strain in that fellowship, isn't there? And, And the same is true in our Christian life and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. In fact, jot these... Let's jot this reference down. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. I'll read it to you. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, the discipline of God. Listen, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, listen, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. You know, my real father died when I was five years old. And I have just a few memories of him. I mean, literal memories that I could tell you that we shared together. And one of them was a time when I got popped. I got a spanking. You remember those old beanbags? You know what happened if you unzip the beanbag and plush carpet? (laughs) You get a spanking. I have one. And look what it says. We have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. We realized, especially when we grew up. At the time, we didn't understand it. When we grew up, we said, oh, mom and dad loved us. That's why they punished us. They didn't want us to be hurt. They didn't want to harm us. They were helping us as we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be a subject to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, that is our earthly parents, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Would you agree with that? And so you never understood when mom or dad said, oh, this hurts me a whole lot more than it hurts you. 
And you were thinking, well, let's change places then, right? I mean, when you were a child, let's change places. But, but you understand as a parent, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Again, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. Now, listen, don't miss this. If you can live a life of sin and not be bothered by it and not be convicted about it, Listen, you're probably not truly born again. This is for the Bible. Listen to the Bible. It says Hebrews 12, 8. But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Why? Because God's love for us, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he will not permit us to live a life of sin. If we're a child of God and we sin, he's going to send conviction into our lives. And we're not going to be having that, that joy and we're going to have strained fellowship and we're going to have that burden that David had. Notice what David did here. Now, God's hand was upon David. David's trying to cover his sin, but it impacted him physically. Look at what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, I didn't get right with God, my, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my my very life was turned into the drought of summer. I was dry spiritually. I was struggling. David knew that something was wrong in his life. Everybody else might look and say, oh, there's King David. And he might have been living like he always had. thought the sin was behind him. But God's hand was upon him. He was convicted. He was bothered. God was chastening him. God was bringing that to his life. And maybe there's something in your life that's not right. Maybe you're dry spiritually. Maybe you can't put your finger on what it is and you don't know what it is. Have you ever considered there may be some unconfessed sin in your life? There may be something that you're trying to keep back. You're trying to cover up. You're trying to not deal with. We don't want to be in that spot. We want to walk in joy and happiness and gladness. God says, basically, in this passage, don't be as stubborn like a horse or a mule. Did you see that part? We believe God is speaking in verse nine. Look at verse nine. God speaking says, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle. Else they will not come near you. What's he mean by that? Well, listen to Proverbs 26, three, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey. And a rod for the fool's back. Proverbs 26, 3. In other words, God does not want us to be stubborn and resistant to his working in our lives. And so as a child of God, when you sin and that conviction comes, what should you do? You should forsake it and confess it and deal with it. But sometimes we want to be stubborn and we want to hold on to our sin and, and hold on to those things. And the Lord does not say, well, that's okay, you go on. No, the Lord will not let us sin successfully. He will deal with us. He will send discipline and chastening in our life. He wants to bring us to repentance and confession. Why? Because He loves us. And He wants to restore that fellowship that we enjoy with Him. That's strained right now because of our sin. Yes, He still loves us. Yes, we're still saved if we know Jesus Christ. Yes, we're going to heaven. But that fellowship is not what it ought to be. Which brings us to our third lesson, that's this, how to get where we want to be. How do we get where we want to be? We know where we want to be, and we know where we don't want to be, so how do we get where we want to be? Verses 5 and 6. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. How do we get where we want to be? Well, of course, we've already settled at the very beginning is we have to be saved. But but once we're saved and we know Jesus, when we get out of fellowship with God, how do we get where we want to be again? We confess. The New Testament says it this way. First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember this one, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. How do you get where you want to be and where God wants you to be? You come clean with God. You come clean with God. You quit trying to cover it up. You quit messing around. You quit dawdling. And you come to the Lord and you confess to Him the sin in your life. And you get those things right. And He restores the joy and the fellowship of your salvation. You get to where you can say like David does in verse 7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Some of you are here today and you need deliverance. You need to be set free from that unconfessed sin in your life. So what is confession, preacher? I love how George Sweeting described confession. He said simply, it's us saying this. God, you're right and I'm wrong. God, you're right and I'm wrong. Confession means to agree with God. And so maybe you're here today and you're laboring along like David and you have unconfessed sin in your life and, and things are not right and the joy of the Lord's not in your life and you're, you're dry spiritually and all these things and, and you're resisting, resisting and God keeps working. Come clean with God. Get right with the Lord. Let Him restore the joy of your salvation. And by the way, that's going to be an ongoing thing. You know why? Because we sin. We sin. When we sin, we confess, which brings us to a fourth lesson. And that's this. How do we stay where we want to be? Well, we know we have to continually confess any unconfessed sin in our lives and we mess up. We keep a short account with God. But there's something else here in verse eight that shows us how we can stay where we want to be. Verse eight says the Lord speaking, we believe in verse eight. So we're not talking. David's not talking here. The Lord speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, just going to touch on this briefly, but I want you to notice the Lord says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. If we're going to walk in revival, we're going to walk in the joy of the Lord. We're going to walk rejoicing and blessed and happy. We have to follow God's guidance, God's teaching and God's instruction. Summary, real simple. We have to obey God. We have to obey him. God says, I'll teach you and I'll guide you. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 10, 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And by the way, God wants you to have full joy. See, joy is different from happiness. We've talked about that many times. Happiness depends on what happens to us. And one day we're happy and one day we're not. Or in the very same hour, we can go from being happy to unhappy. But joy supersedes all that. Joy goes above all that. 
Joy is that abiding thing that should be in our lives as believers. We see that kind of joy in verse 11. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's where I want to be. That's where God wants me to be. I believe that's where you want to be. That's where God wants you to be. To be glad and rejoicing and shouting for joy in the Lord. There's another part of verse 8. Did you see it? Really stuck out to me. I will guide you with my eye. Now think about that for a moment. The Lord's speaking there. I couldn't help but to think of how we as parents do that. We don't have to say a word, do we? We can give children an eye, a look. And all of a sudden, they know exactly what we mean. Now, hopefully, there are loving looks. You give your child loving looks. But then there's also correcting looks where you give your child a a look. I couldn't help but think about it as I was growing up in church as a child. If I was not sitting on the direct pew with my mother, or even if I was, I'd start doing something wrong. Do you believe that? (laughs) And she would give me the look. Now, you knew what the look meant. Do you all know what I'm talking about? You get the look. And the look said, you better straighten up or else. Now I give my children the look. You know what the great thing about the look is? You can be seated in the choir. You can be leading, singing. You can do whatever you want. You can give the look. You can give the look at a distance. In fact, I had to give the look this morning. Give the look. Now, here's the key, though. The look only works if your child is looking at you. Did you ever think about that? It only works if they're looking at you. And so if a child, you guys close your ears, all children right now. If a child are really, that they're really smart and they're disobeying you and they're away from you. If they're really smart, they don't look at you. Because if they don't look at you, you can't look and give them the look. And so they don't look your way because the moment they look at you and they get the look, they know they're in trouble. Right. You aren't following me. Now, if they're behaving and if they're obeying and they're doing well, they don't mind looking at you, do they? They want you to see that they're behaving and they want to get a different kind of look. They want to get a look of approval and a look of happiness and a look of I am so happy. I'm so blessed to be your parent. Right. The guidance with our eyes can be positive and it can also be negative. Right. It can be loving. It can be correcting, which is also loving. But but it only works if the child's looking at the parent. Right. Now, here's the question. Are you looking towards your heavenly father this morning? You see, when you're walking in unconfessed sin, And things are not right in your life. Coming to church is not as fun as it once was. And singing is not like it once was. And praying is really tough. And preaching, you you just don't want to track along because you don't want to look 
and the Father's direction. In fact, when you know you're doing wrong, your look often goes like this, doesn't it? Are you looking in this direction this morning? Are you looking to your heavenly Father? I'll guide you with my eye. Are things right between you and the Lord today? If they're not, beloved, the fault is not his. It's yours. He's perfect. He never changes. And so when I'm out of fellowship with the Lord and I get there from time to time, you know what? It's not the Lord that's messed up. It's not the Lord that's done wrong. It's not the Lord that's moved away from me. I've moved away from him. I've allowed something to come in between me and him in our fellowship. Child of God, listen, God is not out to get you. He's not against you. He's for you. He chastens you only because he loves you. And so I say to all of us today, myself included, don't be stubborn as a mule. That's what God says, right? Don't be like a horse or like the mule. Don't like to be moved and with a bitter bridle. Be submissive and, and come even today saying, God, you're right. And I'm wrong. I want to say to you today, as we look toward revival, revival can begin today. And it begins when we come clean with God. We say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I want to walk in uprightness of heart. I want to rejoice. I want to shout for joy. I want to be happy in the Lord. I want to be excited about the things of God. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your chastening. Thank you to let me go off on my own. But in love, as our Heavenly Father, you chasten me and you discipline me and you bring me back to where you want me to be. Guide me with your eye. I'm looking to you. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be submissive to your spirit's leading today. I pray if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that during this invitation song, you'll bring them down here and allow us to put them with someone who will take a Bible and share Jesus with them. And then, Father, I pray for those of us who already know him. It's only by your grace. We thank you for your love and the security that's ours. But, Father, I pray that you help us be real honest and open before you today. I pray that you'd help us to open every door and every window of our life and say, Holy Spirit, search me, examine me, show me anything that hinders my fellowship with the Father, my usability, anything that would hinder your glory operating and your joy operating in my life. Help us to come today in confession. Help us to come saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Lord, I pray for true revival. I pray it will begin in me. I pray it will begin here this morning and catch fire. There will be a new awareness of your holiness and the very sinfulness of sin. Lord, I pray your blessing on this invitation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope the invitation is clear today. If you need to be saved, we invite you to come. We'll put you with someone who will share Christ with you. You want to come today and get right about some things. The altar is open. It's time to do business with God. It's time to come clean with the Lord and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. So as we sing this closing hymn, the altar is open. Would you come? Our closing hymn this morning. It's number 312. Softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. You come. 312. As we sing, you come.